If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. And as you turn there, let me say a word of welcome to you who are worshiping here downstairs at the well and to those upstairs at the Well Cafe. Uh, Delighted to have you in worship, especially if you're here for the very first time, either first time here at the Well or first time here at First Methodist uh, or upstairs in the Well Cafe. If you are brand new or you are a returning guest, I want to share with you a special invitation this morning. Uh, Once a month, Pastor Mike and I host a gathering called, it's very clever called Coffee with Mike and David. And uh, in, in that time, what we do is uh, we, we get to connect with our visitors and our guests. We get to share a little bit more with you about the life of our church, uh, the mission of our church, and then answer any questions that you may have. And so if you are brand new and you'd like to, to, to do that, we'd love to have you Wednesday night, 6.30. We meet in the atrium, which is connected to our main sanctuary. And again, we do that once a month. So if Wednesday doesn't work for you, uh, you can come uh, second Wednesday uh, of the month. We're doing it the third one this week because of spring break. But we'd love to, to welcome you and have some coffee with you and just share a little bit more about the life of our church. Uh, before I dive in, I want to tell you something real quick. In the fall of 2000, I was finishing up my last semester of college and I made the trip uh, from College Station to Cleburne, Texas to interview for my first real job. Like I'd had some jobs like the hourly kind where you don't really pay attention. You know what I'm talking about? But it was like my first real job. Uh, and on that committee who interviewed me uh, was a young kid uh, named Ben Mason. Uh, he was a junior in high school at that time. Uh, and I, if I remember correctly, his dad was the chair person of that committee. Is that right, Bill? Do you remember that? I think you were too. Um, and, and that was my first experience in interviewing for a church job. I, I served for four years as the youth pastor there uh, in Cleburne. And so seated here uh, in the front are people who watched me do everything wrong in those first four years and learn what it means to be a pastor. And this morning, if you're up in the Well Cafe and you weren't here, I got the, the privilege of baptizing uh, Ben's son. And uh, that was a special moment for me, and it was a special moment uh, for them to bring him here before you and to have him baptized. But appreciate that, because as a pastor, uh, life uh, f- for us is about the relationships that we have the opportunity to build. And that's the richness of life. It, it, I'm certainly, certainly sure it is for you as well. But there in Cleveland, I got to spend time with Ben and Jack and Mary, all three of the Mason kids. And, and uh, my life was changed because of that experience. And so to be here for that uh, is a very special moment for me uh, this morning. But let's jump into uh, this uh, message today. I just wanted to share that with you. Um, we are in the season of Lent. We're in the second weekend of Lent. I said last week that Lent is a time where we intentionally walk with Jesus towards the cross. We do so to reflect again on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us and to think about the grace that has been made available to us in that act. We prepare ourselves spiritually for the celebration of Easter. And this year what we're doing as we make that journey again is we're doing it in this series of messages entitled Discovering the Holy Land. Uh, I just got back from my first trip to the Holy Land and we took with us a, a video team and some photographers who were able to capture that experience so that we could bring it back to you in this series and we together could walk to the cross by visiting the land where Jesus lived. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about the baptism of Jesus. And if you weren't here, and some of you weren't, I can tell, because we've got a full crowd this morning. Uh, if you were not here last week, I want to encourage you to go online and watch that message so that you have a chance to see all six spots that we're going to visit over the course of, of this journey together. Next week, we're going to go to the hillside around the Sea of Galilee. 
where Jesus shared the Sermon on the Mount. The week after that, we're going to be on the Sea of Galilee and talk about what happened at that particular place. The week after that, we're going to travel south to Jerusalem, make that trek that Jesus made to the holy city in the last week of his life. We'll go to the Garden of Gethsemane. We'll go to the, to the Garden Tomb. We'll go to the, uh, get back to the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, to the place where Jesus shared a meal with his disciples after his resurrection. I hope you're here all six weeks and Easter as we make this journey together. So if you weren't here last week, please watch that message. But uh, this is how I started last week, and I want to make sure to to do it again uh, for those who may be here for the first time. I want to show you what we mean when we talk about the Holy Land. So what you see before you is kind of the modern day uh, understanding of the Holy Land. The area in white is is the nation of Israel today. And then within the area that we would consider to be the Holy Land, you see there in tan the West Bank area, which is under Palestinian control. Again, many of the holy cities, holy sites are also in the West Bank area. So this little strip is what we would think of when we think about the Holy Land. Now the next slide, next picture gives you a sense of some of the geography of the Holy Land. The Holy Land is nothing like Texas, okay? So this flat world that we live in, it's totally different over there. You see two sets of mountain ranges that run parallel to each other uh, through that strip. And then in between those two is a valley where we find several important bodies of water. In the north, you find the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee connects to this larger body of water at the bottom of the screen that is called the Dead Sea through the Jordan River. So waters that come into the Sea of Galilee flow down the Jordan River into the Dead Sea, which is the lowest point on the earth. Water cannot escape the Dead Sea except by evaporation. And so because of that, the Dead Sea is incredibly minerally rich Uh, waters, and nothing can survive in the Dead Sea. So that's kind of unique. Oh, and people float, in case you were wondering. But that's kind of the geography of the Holy Land. And then the last slide here is just a sense of some of the important cities that we will visit in our time. You see in the north Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. You see the city of Capernaum. Capernaum was where Peter was from. And it, it's assumed that, that Jesus, when, uh, during his three years of public ministry, pop, probably lived in the city of Capernaum as he made his rounds around the Sea of Galilee. As you come south, you see the city of Jerusalem, where Jesus would have come at the end of his life. The city of Bethlehem is just south of Jerusalem, where Jesus was born. And then you look to the east, and just north of the Dead Sea, you see the city of Jericho. We'll talk a little bit about Jericho today. Now, if you were here last week, I took you to a place called Yardanit. And Yardanit is a place on the Jordan River just south of the Sea of Galilee, the place where the Sea of Galilee empties into the Jordan River. And that is a spot where many Christians come today to reaffirm their baptism, to enter into the same waters that Jesus entered into, and to share a moment of baptism or a reaffirmation of that sacred moment. I made the comment to you last week that Yardini, this area that we visited, is not the same place where Jesus came to be baptized. The reason why is because the place where Jesus was probably baptized is in the southern area of the Holy Land. And up until the mid-90s, the military occupied that area. There were landmines on both shores. So it wasn't the most appropriate place for a spiritual experience uh, at that particular time. But this is what the southern area looks like now. This is new construction. Christians have started to come here to the southern side. But what I want you to see between the first picture you saw and 
And the second one is the difference in, in the landscape. So as you move around the Holy Land, one of the things that is surprising to you is that the landscape changes dramatically. So in this nation that we live in, you can drive across America and you'll see all sorts of different landscapes. You'll see the deserts and the mountains and all sorts of different things. You find all of those things in this tiny strip of land in the Holy Land because of how dramatic the elevation changes throughout the area and because of its location on the Mediterranean Sea, you see all sorts of different landscapes. So you can be in one side of Jerusalem And there's no trees that are taller than this. And then you drive across the mountain to the other side of Jerusalem, and all of a sudden you're in the forest of Colorado. It's one of the most bizarre things you have ever seen. But we come down south and we begin to see what what the Gospels describe as the wilderness area. The next slide shows you that in even more detail. So we leave the lush green vegetation of the northern areas and we come south to the wilderness area. The wilderness, uh, as described in the Gospels, is not the wilderness of Colorado, but it is the, the wilderness of, uh, of, of the desert area that we see uh, here in this picture. So I want you to have this in your mind as we dive into Luke 4 because this is the setting of what we're about to read. Luke 4 verse 1 says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place. And showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. But Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil then led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 13, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So if we go back, to the map that I just showed you. It's kind of blown up a little bit in this next slide. You see again, there's Jerusalem, there's Bethlehem, there's Bethany, and then you look to the east, and just north of the Dead Sea, you find the city of Jericho. Now, if you go about six miles more to the east, you'll find the Jordan River, and you'll find that southern site, that southern area of the Jordan River, where we think Jesus was probably baptized. So following this moment, again, that's where we were last week, Jesus makes the six-mile journey from the Jordan River through the city of Jericho, and when you make that journey today, this is what you will find. So this is a video that is taken from the city of Jericho. We were down in the city. This was the final day of our trip. And overlooking the city of Jericho, you find this very large mountain, which is referred to as the Mount of Temptation. Tradition tells us that Jesus spent a majority of this 40-day fast living in the caves on this particular mountain. Uh, As you go up about halfway up uh, into the mountain, you will see a monastery. 
a monastery that is there marking the place where Jesus came and spent these days in the wilderness area, in the desert, being tempted immediately following his baptism. Uh, there's the monastery there in, in the center. The cable cars that you saw at the very begin, beginning of the video take you about halfway up the mountain where you can make the rest of the hike by yourself with your legs up into the monastery. Now, we did not do that. <laughs> we did not make that journey up into the monastery. But within those walls, here is something that you will find. Go ahead and go to that next picture. You will find a cave, a cave where tradition says that Jesus slept While he was in the wilderness, facing this temptation, enduring this fast, pilgrims can come to this place today. You see many who have come and and brought pictures of loved ones and placed them there in this particular cave. Again, the place where Jesus came and he slept during this time that he spent in the wilderness. So again, Jesus has just been baptized. Jesus has just had this incredible moment of coming out to hear John preach. He's been baptized by John in in the Jordan River. And if you were here last week, you remember that when Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened and Jesus heard these words. This is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. This is how the ministry of Jesus begins. With this moment, he leaves and he goes to the wilderness. He goes to this, the place of nothingness, this, this, this empty area, and there he faces these temptations. At the moment of his greatest vulnerability, the devil comes and tempts him in three different ways. Jesus, not having anything to eat, the devil says, hey, there's some stones there. Since there's nothing else out here to eat, you should turn this into bread. And, and Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. Jesus is then taken to a, to a high point, perhaps the top of this particular mountain. And there in a vision, the devil shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, this can be yours. I can give it to you. Again, Jesus holds him off and passes the test. And then the third thing, Jesus is taken to Jerusalem. It's not clear whether this is a literal trip or, or again, a vision that the devil gives him where he is there at the highest point of Jerusalem. And, and he says, throw yourself down because you're the son of God. He will save you. And again, Jesus says, we don't put God to the test. So where many have come before and failed, Jesus succeeds in facing the temptation in the wilderness. It's a remarkable story when you go to that place and you see the wilderness area outside of Jericho, the place where Jesus would have gone to to face his temptations. But it does raise in your mind this question, well, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for for you and I as we see the strength that Jesus lives out in the wilderness and we think about our own sense of weakness? What does that mean for us as we come to this second stop on our journey to the Mount of Temptation, the place where Jesus came and succeeded where so many others had failed before him? Let me invite you to reflect on a few things. The first thing is this, that this is how the ministry of Jesus begins. We said last week that at the baptism, oh, we, we see the gospel writers, and in this moment, we see foreshadowing two things that will be at the heart of Jesus' ministry. The invitation that Jesus will offer for people to come and be purified and set right with God. 
That in the act of baptism, this act that John is doing in the desert, we see this, that people are coming to say to God again, God, we repent of our sins. We want to live right with you. And so we are entering in these waters to be ritually cleansed so that we can be set right with you. And this foreshadows what Jesus is going to do. He's going to invite people to come and to be cleansed and to be purified. But also... That in this act, when we see heaven open and Jesus hears these words, this is my son whom I love, in him I am well pleased, we see the invitation that Jesus is going to offer to the world to be reclaimed by their father. That the words that Jesus hears, this is my son and whom I love, are the same words that Jesus invites the world to hear. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are loved by God. This is the ministry and the message of Jesus that we're going to see him bring as we continue along this journey. But this ministry starts here. Not with a grand parade saying, look, he's here. This is awesome. We've waited so long. But rather with Jesus going to this empty place, to this place of nothingness, to the place where he himself faced his greatest vulnerability and the place where even Jesus, we can imagine, was scared and afraid. So we might say it this way, that Jesus begins his ministry by going to the places that we don't like to go and facing the things that we don't like to face. To go to that place of nothingness, to go to that place of loneliness, to to go to that place where we ourselves are emptied and vulnerable and yes, even afraid. This is the place where Jesus goes to begin his ministry. And and when you think about it that way, it seems like an odd place to begin. It seems like an odd place to start this journey. And so this question comes up, why? Why did Jesus start his ministry? By going to the wilderness, by going to the place of emptiness, by going to that place of of his greatest vulnerability, why does the ministry of Jesus start here? Now, we're actually going to talk more about this next week, so I could just stop and say, come back next week and I'll tell you. But I'm not going to leave you with that big of a cliffhanger. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to pull back the curtain a little bit and jump ahead in the story to get a sense of why the ministry of Jesus had to start in a place like this. So if you jump forward five chapters, here's what you're going to find. Uh, Luke 9, Jesus is spending time in prayer with his disciples. And while he is there in prayer with them, he interrupts that time by asking them a question. He says, who do people say that I am? Now again, we've jumped forward in the story. Jesus has already started his ministry around the Sea of Galilee. Crowds have started to come out to hear him preach. And Jesus asks his disciples, these men who have in the meantime started following him, hey, what are people saying? Who do they think I am? And the disciples share with him some of the responses that they have heard among the crowd. But then he shifts gears on them and says, okay, but what about you? What about you? The ones who have given up everything in life to come and follow me. Why are you here? (laughs) Who do you think I am? And Peter is the one who says, you are God's Messiah. In other words, you're the one that we've been waiting for all this time. We believe that you're the one who was sent by God to save us. And this is how Jesus responds to this incredible witness. He says, 
uh, verse 21, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? So Jesus says, if you want to be his disciple, and if you want to discover what life is really all about, then here's, here's what you have to do. You have to be willing to lose your life if you want to find life. If your goal is to discover what is the, the rich and beautiful and good kind of life, then what you must be willing to do is to go to those places that you don't want to go and to face those things that you don't want to face. If you want to live, you have to be willing to die. If you want to experience what life is all about, then somehow you have to come to an understanding of your life that is bigger than your wants, your wishes, your desires, your perspective on what your life should be. You have to sell yourself out to something that will outlive you, something that is bigger than you. You have to be willing to surrender and die to those things that you may want life to be if you want to discover what life is really all about. So this hunger and obsession and need that we all have for survival and for security, what Jesus says is in some ways, you have to let that go if you really want to discover what life is all about. There's been two questions I've been asked since I've gotten back from the Holy Land. The first question is, how was your trip? Which is a really difficult question, like, um, awesome, it was amazing, it was great. Like, you can't answer that in just, you know, a, a quick, uh, what I've started to say is come to church the next six weeks and I'll give an, I'll attempt to tell you what this trip was like for me and, and probably then I'll still fail. But the second question that I've heard over and over again is, did you feel safe? Did you feel safe? That's the most common question that I've heard is, did you feel safe? Now, where does that question come from? What's that about? It's about this need that we all have to be safe and to be secure. And this obsession that we have with, with, with protecting ourselves and protecting those that we love and making sure that nothing harmful comes into our lives. And yet Jesus says that that instinct, although there is some good things to it, that that instinct will actually lead you to a life that is so small that you'll miss what life is really all about. If you want to live, you have to be willing to die. You have to be willing to go to those places that you don't want to go and face those things that you don't want to face if you really want to discover what life is all about. So there's a question here, a question that we only see the first hint of in Luke chapter 4. The question is, do you really want to follow Jesus? (laughs) It's a real question. And it's one that we should wrestle with. It's one that we should think about when we think about the way we spend our time and, and, and when, we, when we sit down and we balance our checkbook and, and when we think about what, what is the, the, the number one priority in our life and, and we think about what we're giving our life to, we, we should ask ourselves and we should wrestle with the question, do I really want to follow Jesus? 
do I really want to follow Jesus? Because it just might be that if my answer is yes, then Jesus is going to call me to a life that is not a life of comfort and security, but a life where I am vulnerable and a life where I sacrifice in order to invest my life in something that is bigger than myself. Pastor Mike put this on Facebook this week that it it made me chuckle. He said, people who think being a Christian is easy haven't read the Bible. People who think that being a Christian is easy haven't read the Bible. It made me laugh and then it made me think. Do I need to spend some more time reading the Bible? (laughs) Do I need to spend some more time thinking about what it is I expect from life? Where I expect Jesus may call me to go and how Jesus may may ask me to go and serve. Let Let me close with this. Um, so one of the things that uh, I've shared with you already is, is how dramatic the scenery changes as you move around this very small piece of land. Um, one of the most surprising things that I found there uh, was on the third day. We made the trip south. We were in Jerusalem. We made the trip south through Jericho uh, down towards the Dead Sea area. Now, as you travel down towards the Dead Sea, you kind of have in your mind what this place is going to look like. You already know that it's in the south, it's in the wilderness, it's in this place where there's almost no vegetation at all. It's in the place of nothingness, and it's the place where everything goes to die. So you kind of have this sense like you're about to see the ugliest place in, 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 in the entire world uh, when you go down to the Dead Sea. You're going to see brown, murky, dirty waters. I mean, you're, you're just about to see one of the ugliest places that you've ever been to. It's going to be like one of those lakes that we see in Texas that we're like, who would go into that? It's just so nasty. That's so disgusting. That's what you expect to see as you make that trip south, as you really just, you feel like you're falling out of Jerusalem. The elevation changes so quickly and you start moving down to this area. So we get there. We get down to the Dead Sea area. And again, this is the lowest place on earth. So on that day, there was just this kind of haze that was hanging over over the Dead Sea, and, and you had to get really close to the waters before you could see this, this image that I expected to see as, as just this total ugly place. But, but this, is, this is what the Dead Sea looks like. That's the Dead Sea. <laughs> I was amazed. Our guide asked me on the last day, he said, is there anything that you've seen that has surprised you? And I said, everything has surprised me. I mean, I mean nothing was as, as I expected it to be, but, but nothing was more surprising than this. To, to drive by the shoreline of the Dead Sea and to look out into these waters, this, this place where everything comes to die and to see this, this beautiful picture, these, these beautiful waters, and to spend just a few moments uh, on that bus as, as we drove by thinking about, well, what does this mean? What does this mean, God? We come to this place where everything comes to die. Nothing can live here. Nothing can survive here. And yet we find this place of tremendous, tremendous beauty. And this is what I felt like God spoke into my heart on that day that this is what your life looks like, David, when your life is about Jesus. When you live as someone who is willing to die. When you sacrifice for something that is bigger than yourself. 
when you invest your life in things that are not temporary, but things that are eternal. When you're willing to go to those places that you don't want to go. When you're willing to face those things that you don't want to face. When you're willing to step out of those places where you feel powerful and where you feel like you have some sense of control. And you enter into that vulnerable place where you are weak and you are vulnerable and yes, even afraid. When you go there and you live there, there's a beauty. There's a beauty in that life. There's a richness in that life. There's a, there's a goodness in that life. And so as we make this second stop, as we come to the, to the Mount of Temptation and to this, this entry into that, that wilderness area, the, the place of nothingness, and we see what Jesus does there, I think Jesus would, would invite us to consider where he may be calling us to go and what he might be calling us to do, and who he may be calling us to serve, and and what kind of life he may be inviting us to invest in. And to pray that God would enable us to be the kind of people who are willing to die so that we might really live. Let's pray. Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for Jesus and for his willingness, Lord, his courage, Lord, to go to those places first that we don't want to go. To go to that place, Lord, where we realize how frail and fragile our life really is. And also, Lord, recognize the opportunity that we have to invest our lives in things that last forever. God, give us the courage to deal with our own mortality. And in that, Lord, to, to be re-energized and filled with the passion to live a life that really matters in the end. Give us courage, Lord to go to those places that we don't want to go, to face those things that we don't want to face, to, to die, Lord, so that we may in turn discover what life is really all about. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.